Hi, I'm your host Pratik Panda and you're listening to Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast by Philo. Here we talk to the best and brightest in influencer marketing to help answer all your questions from finding the right influencers to making sure you have the best influencer marketing strategy. So let's get started. Welcome everybody to another episode of Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast. Joining us today is Gregory Curtis, a multicultural marketing subject matter expert and media specialist with nearly 15 years of experience in strategic sales, existing and emerging media, business strategy and culturally relevant marketing. Now what that means, we are going to find out with Greg pretty soon, but additionally, Greg has experience in sales, marketing, supply chain management and account management and with that, he's really gained a unique perspective on marketing, specifically in multicultural influencer marketing. Thank you so much for joining us Greg. It's great to have you here. No, I am so grateful to be here. Thank you so much for reaching out. I'm super pumped about today's conversation. It's nothing that really gets me going than multicultural influencer marketing. All right, awesome. So we are excited to have you here and let's just start over there, right? One of the things that I ask almost all of my guests is give me one hot controversial take on influencer marketing, something that you believe in but maybe not everybody else agrees to. You know, I think a lot of organizations believe that the messaging around their diversity, equity and inclusion and having a few pillars in-house from an internal perspective could potentially empower them from an external perspective. but it sometimes the culture of an organization actually works at its own demise so i think that that is controversial in itself i know that a lot of organizations really want to get their finger on the pulse on multicultural influencer marketing and to understand your audience you're going to need people that understand your audience internally as well Awesome. So let's dive a little bit deeper on that, right? What is multicultural influencer marketing or multicultural marketing in that sense? Yeah. So I like to think multicultural marketing is inclusive in more than one layer. There's so many approaches to it. And what I mean when I say that, we can just start off with me, for example. I am a mixed race man. I grew up in the Midwest, so my identity is I am a US citizen born and raised in the Midwest, Chicago. My father has southern roots to Mississippi. My mother has roots to the Caribbean islands from Puerto Rico, specifically Arecibo and Caguas. I speak Spanish, I speak English, and I'm a first-generation undergrad and graduate level holder. So when you think about all these different identities and what it means to exist in this one body, those are different segments in how one could market themselves to me from a multicultural perspective. You're not only highlighting my ethnicity, but you could be highlighting the region. There's a culture in the region that I am from. there's also not only the race the ethnic the class there's a class cultural element there there's also a queer element there there's an audience there as well so when i think about multicultural marketing i really lean very heavy on intersectionality and that is a philosophical school of thought that was developed by Kimberly Crenshaw she is a professor at Columbia University their school of law and she's an activist and i think that for marketers using that lens using that social political lens can actually really empower us to uncover new audiences that are obsessed with our brand Got it. And we are starting to see more brands embrace this better as well. We are starting to see campaigns that seem more diverse, seem more inclusive. But as a marketer, how do you make sure that you are honestly actually making that effort and not seeming like someone who's trying to take advantage of this? 
Yeah. So that's a great question. I think the first thing you need to do is you need to listen. You need to understand your audience. You need to engage with the customers in the right context. You need to make sure that you reflect the society that you want to see and the society that actually currently exists. You need to make sure that the messaging is customized and tailored. How you would market yourself to a 28-year-old queer white male that lives in Chelsea, New York, may not be the same way you would market yourself to a Jamaican queer male in Miami. The cultural and marketing messaging may be a little different while also still very similar. And I think that when you fine tune that, you can reinvent your brand to reflect the multicultural brand and you can really be involved in a very authentic conversation. So I think that there's a lot of things at stake, but I think that the more inclusive you are and really saying, hey, I need to understand my audience and centering your customer, you will always win. Got it. And can you tell us a little bit more about a campaign that you remember that was maybe recent or something that really touched you as well that actually takes care of all these multicultural aspects really well? Yes. Honestly, I really have to give it up to Edelman. Edelman is a fantastic public relations firm that, in my opinion, they compete with all of the agent holding companies like a Leo Burnett that sits under Publicis. And the reason why I say that is they have a very close relationship with Unilever. And the campaigns that they did from 2019 to 2022 with Dove, specifically the Hair Care Act for Black and Brown people, was so impactful. And now they're doing a new hair campaign with Unilever around hair dye. So this has nothing to do with race. This is like, hey, millennials, you have gray hair now. And, you know, it's okay in accepting the gray. But if you don't want to accept the gray, we got you as well. We have products that are natural. They won't hurt and harm you or introduce chemicals that could potentially put you at risk for cancer. But we also want you to know it's okay to love your gray. And I think that that, again, is a multicultural type of conversation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I remember the campaign and that's the beauty of a campaign that really touches you, right? You remember the campaign, even if it's four years ago, there are so many that we remember from our childhood also, right? Not in this context, but there are so many of these campaigns that stick to us as consumers, right? And definitely the Dove campaign in terms of diversity and inclusiveness is one of those really good examples. When did you really start recognizing what multicultural influencer marketing is and why is it important? When did this come to you? So it came to me, I want to say around 2012 with the very popular vloggers from YouTube. There was one that I was absolutely obsessed with. He was a white queer male. His name was Michael Buckley. And he actually ended up becoming such a superstar on the YouTube platform that he filled in for Regis and Kelly on ABC daytime television, which is a very big deal to sit in for Regis and Kelly. That being said, I realized right then and there, there's something here. There's power here. He actually ended up getting endorsements. And then I started to see a plethora of people that were not only queer, disabled, black, brown. Like I was like, wait a minute, there's something here. Between 2012 and 2014, I believe that that was when a lot of marketers started to realize there's power and there's also a cost-effective built-in audience that follows these influencers versus going to the traditional general market route with, hey, let's get Halle Berry, let's get Angelina Jolie, let's get Michael Jordan. 
Awesome. Talking about diversity in marketing, right? You also have a diverse background in terms of working in sales, marketing, supply chain, account management. How has that made you a better marketer? Yes. So I typically like to view projects from every angle, every side and exhaust them from beginning to end. It can be a little bit cumbersome, but I want to make sure that no crumbs are left behind. I want to make sure that my clients are not only set up for success, that we really have optimized from every particular angle. And I think that the side that has empowered me the most has actually been the account management side on the vendor side, because I'm actually able to see the scrappiness of a campaign, the areas of opportunity of a campaign, and then growth ops that they walk away with and how better to optimize their campaigns. So for me, the biggest lesson that I've learned in all these roles, whether it be supply chain management, client side, vendor side, agency side, whatever side of the table I am on, is that if I'm not centering my customers' KPIs, their goals, their objectives, and actually being authentic and true to their brand, I'm actually setting them up for failure. And so I always center the customer and not just my agency or my vendor, not just the client, but I'm actually centering their customers. When I'm talking to them, I am saying, hey, I would never want you to sell this particular product to that audience. It's not relevant. And as much as they may want them, if it's not relevant, it's not relevant. And how easy is that to communicate to to a brand, right? You've worked on the brand or client side also. You've worked on the agency side also. Whenever I talk to a lot of brand managers outside of their work environments, everybody still wants to push and acquire as many customers as possible. But a lot of times, you know, deep down that, you know, that's not really the right set of customers you want to continue to build your brand with, but you still go ahead and push. And you just mentioned right now that it's important to know that segmentation and be true to that, be authentic to it. Have you faced situations where you've had to push back a brand and say that, hey, don't really worry about that. That's not your audience, really. Yeah. One of my clients, it's a legacy brand. They actually were fighting tooth and nail to acquire Gen Z consumers. And while I do believe Gen Z could potentially align themselves with the brand, what I love about Gen Z is that they only support brands that they trust in, that they believe reflect their generation. And unfortunately, a lot of legacy brands, much to what you just stated, they're doing these broad general marketing brushes to advertising. And they've done them for so long that they've neglected future audiences. And so for some of these audiences, they don't even foresee themselves in these products or even using these products because they believe that they're dated. Got it. Makes sense. And, you know, talking about finding the right audiences and that leads us to something that we were talking about before, right? Around measurement, right? And as brands are getting more informed about influencer marketing as a channel, it's slowly starting to go from being a visibility branding channel to a more ROI driven, okay, I want to drive more sales out of this. I want to drive more conversions out of this. So how do you determine a campaign success? What measurement areas are important? Yes. So I believe that influencer marketing is the way to go, especially during economic downturns. And we are currently in a very transformative economic something. With that being said, the reason why I believe influencer marketing is just the way to go is that you can segment several audiences at once. And so the way to view influencer marketing is not only just for awareness, but also the customization of being in front of relevant audiences that you believe your brand could see impact for or resonate with. 
And so while you may not see the immediate return on investment now, that exposure will put you front of mind, especially if it's authentic to that influencer you selected. Because the audience will know if, hey, Greg believes in that, you know, my block sunscreen because Greg is someone who clearly needs sunscreen. Or Greg believes in that particular hair care product because look at his curls. I love Greg's curls. I want Greg's curls. But if I am marketing products that I do not actually look like I consume or that I've never shared with my audience, you're not going to see any return on investment because it's just a money grab. My audience will know that. I lose value as an influencer. They lose their respect in me, my audience, as an influencer. And the brand doesn't win either. I want to say this, though, specifically around multicultural audiences, multicultural marketing, and multicultural influencer marketing. And I have to say this before we continue with any other Q&A. I am tired of organizations that believe general marketing is the default. They are actually doing themselves a massive disservice, and they are inherently setting up their brands for failure and their organizations for failure as well. Microsoft advertising I say give or take maybe four years ago, said that 70% of Gen Z consumers trust brands that represent diversity in ads. Gen Z is literally the most multicultural generation we've ever seen. And what I mean by that is they're the most queer, they're the most racially diverse, they're also the most mixed race generation. They're also the generation they got to see millennials suffer from collegiate struggles with student loans. They hear about 9-11. They've got to see a Black president and a president like Trump in office. They have a whole different outlook to the world. And multicultural is inherently something that they understand because since they were children, they've had access to Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. So them growing up to see, you know, Disney's first Black Mermaid is normal. It's out of this world to millennials and everyone else, but it's normal to them. And so what I'm simply trying to say is if organizations are not centering multicultural as their go-to right out the gate, they've actually already failed. This is not a trend. This is the here and the now. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest takeaway from this conversation. I know we're still going to talk about a lot of things, but what you just said right now is probably going to be the biggest takeaway from this entire episode is that this is it right now, here and now, right? It is not a trend. It is not something that's going to fade away. It's only going to continue to be stronger and deeper. And that's how we evolve as a generation, right? And some things might seem difficult for us to digest as millennials or even the older generation beyond that, but it is what it is, right? And we need to embrace it. We need to understand it. We need to grow ourselves as individuals as well as brands, right? And end of the day, who are brands, right? They're also a bunch of individuals coming together to help shape and build that brand and consumers really trying to latch onto that brand and find some association. And if we don't be true to that intent, it's going to be really hard to continue to build a brand that survives. I completely agree. You know, one of the most disheartening experiences I had was when I was working at a particular agency and they said that they wanted exposure to Latinx audiences. I was like, oh, this is so fun. I'm super excited. Let's work on this campaign because I am half Latino. And no soon as I'm in this meeting, they're like, yeah, we got that covered. We're using Telemundo Univision. That's it. I'm like, but you know, Latin America doesn't just watch just these two networks. We're consuming media in general. We're not just consuming Univision and Telemundo. And they were like, well, that's what we're doing. 
And I think that the power of social media and these platforms has taught us that, hey, you know, Indian audiences are not just consuming one Indian network or Latino audiences are not only consuming two media networks or Black Americans or Black people from the diaspora are not just consuming BET and VH1 and MTV. So you're really missing out on just on a lot. It's kind of sad because there are organizations that I still work with and these are their go-to fundamentals. Yeah. And I hope everybody who's listening is also starting to be more aware about this. We need to also, as marketers, talk to each other more about this. Not just marketers. Go talk to your CEO. Go talk to your leadership. Get them more aware. And that's what makes it easier for consumers also to connect with you. It makes it easier for brands as well as agencies to be able to work together end of the day, authenticity and trust is at the core of all of this. Correct. So you did mention another thing, a black president in the US, right? And talking about President Obama, you did work on his social media campaigns early on. And how was that experience? The experience was fantastic. Working for Barack Obama at the time, Senator Barack Obama's presidential campaign, it taught me a lot about resilience. It taught me a lot around messaging And it also taught me a lot about the power of social media, specifically the digital online audiences and communities. We were on MySpace, Twitter, internet forums, any platform where there were communities and audiences. We were doing grassroots digital marketing efforts to really plant seeds and plant seeds in a positive way and to really let people know these are the things happening on the campaign. These are the ways you can contribute and really the power of influence through digital media. It was one of the best opportunities, I believe, that set up the fundamentals of my career. Yeah. And since we are talking about social media in the political context, there is a lot of regulation coming to social media platforms. There's this whole thing about TikTok being banned in the US that's still going on. As a brand and even as an influencer, what are some things that you need to start paying attention to as more regulation comes around social media? Yeah, it's a great question. I believe that with TikTok and the regulations that are to come. Now, mind you, I'm a huge fan of TikTok, especially from my clients that are within the beauty and CPG food consumption demographics of industries. I think that the regulations could impact them the hardest, but I also believe that they need to continue to diversify amongst the platforms because it's going to impact these influencers as well. I don't think that the impact is going to be as serious as we're making it. And the reason why I say that is that there's too many Fortune 500 organizations that are deeply invested in the success of TikTok. Makes sense. Yeah, I think I agree with that. And sometimes it feels like TikTok's too big to fail as well. I had a guest on the show that mentioned that he thinks that one of the things that will happen is a leading presidential candidate in the U.S., within the next five years is going to be a popular TikToker. We don't know. (laughs) We don't know who that will be. But that is the power of social media. And that is the power of influence, right? That is very much possible, especially as more Gen Zers become eligible to vote and they're going to participate in politics deeper and attach strongly with all these folks that they meet online. Social media is going to continue to play a very, very important role. Absolutely. I completely agree. And whoever had stated that they could see the next presidential candidate coming from TikTok, kudos to them. Because you just never know which platform is going to be that platform that everyone really leverages as a go-to. Because at one point it was MySpace. Then from MySpace, it transitioned to Facebook. From Facebook, it transitioned to Twitter, then Instagram, now TikTok. You know, every dog has their season. Yep. 
So there is a study by Nielsen that indicated that multicultural consumers spend more than $65 billion each year in the U.S. alone on consumer spending, and the influence is upwards of a trillion dollars. And we talked about an example of Dove as a brand that did this really well. So let's say you are a consumer brand and you're trying to make the best out of this. How do you get started? Where do you focus on? Let's say you don't understand a lot of this multicultural context, right? And you might have some people on the team. How do you really go ahead and get started so that you embrace this well? Yeah, I really believe that where organizations like Nielsen, organizations that hold access to data, it's going to be pivotal to your success. And what I loved about the experience of working very closely at IRI was the power of loyalty card data, really being able to see consumptions at the household level. And then through that consumption, you can delineate and start to build narratives with Experian ID tags and layer it to really explore and do deep dives and saying, yo, that particular household has a lot of nuance. There's clearly a Gen Z person there. I see a millennial. I see two baby boomers. And I see someone that is above a baby boomer. So you start to build a family. You start to build households. And so I think what's important for organizations is to look at data, look at the historical data, dissect the data, understand your audiences, and look to find ways to uncover new audiences to explore. Multicultural marketing is super important to understand your audience and to engage with consumers with the right context. And I think that that's going to make for a very fruitful conversation. And I know a lot of organizations, some of them are like, well, some of these influencers are really expensive. I have worked with agencies that use platforms or gifting platforms such as OptiClink, also known as Skippers now, where you can gift prospective influencers that you can hand select and you can do research and See, hey, okay, I want two Latino girls and I want one Black American girl and I want three white general populist girls to talk about, you know, this lipstick and the different shade variations and how it blends, et cetera. What I'm trying to say is there's an entry point for everyone. And I think that the first thing you need to do is center your customer. But before you center your customer, really do a deep dive to understand your customer. I think sometimes we don't really actually understand our customers and the use case of why they even use our products in the first place. Yep, that's absolutely true. And I've seen that more often than not, right? You're trying to move through things so quickly that you're not really listening closely to your true customers. And that feedback doesn't get passed on not only to the marketing and sales teams, but also to the product teams that are actually building something. You're moving through cycles so quickly to turn around a product into the market that, you know, a lot of this, which is necessary, where you go talk to your target audience really well, gets missed, right? And you're not doing a good enough job researching. And thanks for sharing the insight on these platforms that can actually allow you to find these kind of people to work more closely with, right? Have a close group focused discussion, get them to try the product, give them the product, get to hear from them, right? I mean, it is starting to get easier to go discover these folks. In the past, you would have to hire like a high ticket size agency that's going to go scout around, get some people into a room. And it used to be an expensive process. And now that so many direct-to-consumer e-commerce brands are also around, it's a Shopify store at the end of the day that's making millions of dollars a year, 
but even they can get access to this audience pretty easily, right? Well, I think that the people who are running the Shopify shops, they understand their audiences. I think that when we're talking about these Goliath organizations, they don't always understand their audiences. So they will lean on the influencer agencies like a Rhythm Influence, like a Who Say, who are, by the way, fabulous influencer agencies who I've all worked with and have perfect examples of how I've worked with them and how transformative we've made impact for brands. But when I deal with my small to medium-sized customers, I'm telling them, yes, use Octoly because you can go in there, you can research your influencers, you can see if they're relevant to your brand or at least to your liking. You can give them insights and parameters of how you would like for them to discuss your products and it's cost effective. So you can get 15 different types of influencers that you believe work for your brand at a cost effective rate and it's a loyalty gifting platform. And that's something that I think that from an SMB perspective and even enterprise perspective or organizations can benefit from on the client side, those gifting platforms. But then from an agency perspective, that's where you really get the expertise. That's where you're relying on the agencies to do the deep dives, to understand the audiences, to find areas of opportunity for the brand, to further explore, grow, and capitalize on the moment. And that's when you lean in Rhythm Influence to really come in and maximize those dollars. Awesome. Thanks for that. Do you think that multicultural influencer marketing, as we call it today, is going to be just influencer marketing in a few years from now. This is how you do influencer marketing. Today, we have to specifically focus on the multicultural part to be more inclusive. Do you think that anytime soon, maybe in the next five years, seven years, we are going to move past this and just say that this is influencer marketing? Yeah, no, that's a fabulous question. And the reason why I love that you asked that question is that you're saying, Greg, is multicultural going to be the new art standard? And critique, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. The data in the United States of America is showing us that Gen Z is not only the most racially diverse, but nearly 42% of voters aged between 18 and 25 identify as people of color. They're also, again, one of the queerest generations we have ever seen. So thinking about like queer audiences, thinking about multicultural audiences, thinking about the multi-ethnicity piece of that, thinking about the intersections of class, there's a lot going on here in this stew that's brewing. So I think that for major corporations, if they're not centering multicultural as a top priority, not a trend, but saying we have got to think about better ways to find things that are authentic to us, we will fail. Do you know who I really have to give a round of applause to? There is a young lady who is running influencer marketing right now for Target. Her name is Maya Hicks. She selected Tabitha Brown to be the face of one of their influencer efforts for Target. It has sold out consistently that they had to do another capsule. That's impressive. But in addition to that, through selecting Tabitha Brown, it was smart because here you have a Black American woman who has this vegan lifestyle, but she's invited us into her home with her husband and her children. She gives us positive affirmations every day. She feels like the auntie or the mother you never had. And she's cooking these super healthy cuisine meals and she's showing people weight loss in the process. So she's introducing all of these audiences, vegan, 
She's black. She's a mom. She has children. She cares about her health, so weight loss. And she also wants to feel beautiful. And she's positive and full of affirmation. And so this time capsule that she did with collaboration with My Hicks Through Target for Tabitha Brown, it sells out. And it sold out immediately because it was a success. And Target, they saw the success because Tabitha's first activation ever was with McCormick for seasoning. Because again, vegan, and it sold out instantly in this super siege race because all of the different other audiences that follow her. So I say all of this to say that I think it's important to center multicultural marketing as not the default, because I think that the way that a lot of organizations are operating right now, they're like, don't fix it if it's not broken. I think it's broken. And I think not only it's broken, I think that people are scared of change. And if you do not lean into the change, it could be at your own demise. Got it. Thanks for that example. And if you know Maya Higgs well from Target, I would love to have her on the show. And I do know her and I would gladly introduce you to Maya. Yeah, we should have her on the show, get her to talk more about this. And we really need to talk more about this so that people around the world get to understand what we are really trying to say, right? And it's important, the kind of work you're doing, what she's doing. People need to hear it that well-known brands that we are aware of are also consciously trying to put more effort to be more authentic and inclusive. And that is the way forward. In fact, what forward, that is the here and now is what we are trying to emphasize, right? The time for it is already here. Yeah. And I want to make sure that I don't want brands and organizations to be scared and say, we're behind. No, you're not. You're okay. Everyone's behind. We're all out here just trying to get by. But I think it's important to be a champion of authenticity and finding something that is authentic for your brand. So it may not necessarily be, hey, this particular person, or let me just go find someone that's black and brown. No, you may actually be able to find a Latinx white presenting disabled person who has a whole nother different type of built-in audience or a first-generation Polish-American. And they may have a built-in audience of integrating and getting acclimated to American U.S. culture. So I think that organizations need to focus on creating channel-specific content, keeping it short and sweet, making sure it's authentic to their brand, being transparent, being accountable. So if you make a misstep, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. Correct it. And making sure that the influencers that you select really reflect Gen Z. I think that centering Gen Z is going to be pivotal because I'm looking at the way my mother and father are looking to me and my sister for what's in, what's new, what's hot. I'm like, honestly, I'm looking at Gen Z. That's awesome. Cool. Moving on almost towards the last question. And this is a fun one. If you were to take out an influencer for lunch, who would that person be and why? So I will say that I did get to have coffee with one of my favorite influencers. Her name is Brooke DeVard. She is a beauty guru. She actually provided me with some health cleansing items as a gift when I saw her in New York City. And I'm obsessed with her and her little son, Mavi. She's built quite a beautiful lifestyle for herself. And Naked Beauty is her platform and it's fabulous. That being said, an influencer that I respect, that I would absolutely love to have lunch with, is going to be Hannah Brothman. I've met Hannah, but I've not had lunch with her. I love Hannah Brothman because of her transparency. Hannah has invited us in to a lot of very personal conversations from when she chipped her veneer and went and got a whole new set and showed us what she looked like without her veneers. 
Then she got them installed again. Her transparency and her IVF experience and into the journey of losing a child and actually successfully carrying her pregnancy into her identity as a multiracial woman. She's of mixed heritage. Her father is white Jewish American. Her mother is a Black American woman from Chicago. And her journey into weight loss and fitness and beauty. And then also her transformation of just different eras. Certain eras, she was super insecure. And then other eras, we got to see her really live on top. And I think that following an influencer, it almost feels like you know them. And this is why brands need to understand the power of influencers. Look at all that I just shared about this young lady who I have never had lunch with. I know a lot of details about her. And think about all of the audiences that follow her. Mixed race people, queer people, women that want to have babies that are struggling to get pregnant, people who care about skin, people who care about fitness. You know, she's in an interracial marriage. All of these things that exist in this one person that brands can align themselves to and capitalize off of the moment because the people that follow her trust her spirit of discernment that she wouldn't align herself with a brand she does not believe in. And you benefit from that. Yeah. And that's spot on, right? And end of the day, it's all about trust and transparency, authenticity. That's what helps us build that connection. The reason you're talking so much about this person, even though you don't really know her, you feel like you know her, right? And you can relate to a lot of things that she's going through. On that note, I was not really planning to ask this, but let's talk a little bit about mental health and mental wellness, right? Being a creator is a hard job. It feels as a viewer and as you are scrolling through content, we rarely give them more than 30 seconds or 60 seconds at a time, right? And it's easy to scroll through. Life seems rosy on the outside and I'm sure a lot of them struggle. It is a lonely job. A lot of times you are trying to figure out everything on your own, right from running it as a business, finding brand deals, what products to promote, what you talk about, editing videos, managing lighting, taking care of your family, so many things, right? And you're trying to do all of that alone. A lot of creators have told us also that they deal with a lot of stressful days and a lot of mental health issues because they're expected to be good every day, right? And show up on the screen every day. What are some of your thoughts on that? You might know some of these creators well, and let's talk a little bit more about this. That's a fabulous question, and thank you for asking that. Um, I have the ability to work with uh, Husay on a campaign for Logo TV for Skittles, working with RuPaul Drag Race, also in collaboration with Todrick Hall. So Todrick Hall is who I would like to center. Todrick Hall has built a phenomenal platform of singing, dancing, recreating some of pop culture's best moments from Hocus Pocus to Mean Girls and just revamping it through their queer lens. And brands love them from Target to Skittles. Everyone loves Tajik Hall. I actually did get the opportunity to hear them have a very candid conversation about the pressure. And I think that for influencers, they build a very authentic platform. And I think it is super important for them to, to be champions for who they are and understanding it's okay to evolve. And it's okay for you to change your messaging because who Gregory was 
five years ago is not who Gregory was two years ago, who's not who Gregory is today. And I say to any influencer, it is important to remind your audience that you are an ever-evolving person and that what you liked five years ago may not be what you like today. And that vulnerability and that transparent exchange allows for the audience to continue to really love you to really love and see you evolve. And sometimes it can be a bit of a train wreck. You know, I've seen some YouTubers that were ASMR food curators and influencers who gained a lot of weight. And now it's kind of like we're all sitting on the sideline, like this is a train wreck, you know? So yes, a lot of people are following. And yes, the brands are endorsing, but it's like, are we aligning ourselves with the right thing right now? And so I think for brands, be mindful of what you're aligning yourself to. But I think for influencers, it's absolutely important to offer moments of vulnerability and honesty. When you think about some of your heroes, we're always upset when we say, oh, we don't really want to know our heroes. But some of my favorite business heroes like Melody Hobson, when you listen to them talk about their failures, Roz Brewer is another, when they highlight their failures, that is when you really get to see what they are made of in their transformation. And so for influencers, it's okay to grow. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to not always be on. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay to say mañana será bonito. Tomorrow will be better. Yeah, awesome. And I think that's a very good way for us to segue and bring this conversation to, I wouldn't call it an end. I'm sure we will talk more in future episodes. I would love to have you back again and we'll keep diving deeper. Thank you so much, Gregory, for joining us. It was great having you here. Anything else that you want to share with our audience before we sign off? Yes. So key takeaways for anyone who really wants to put their hands into multicultural influencer marketing. It's important to listen to your audience, to find new areas of opportunity for growth, expansion, or introduction. It's important to engage with your customers with the right contacts. It needs to reflect the society that you want to live in and the one that we live in now. Customize the marketing messaging depending on your audiences and have fun with it. Don't be scared to get a little sticky. Awesome. That's a lot of exciting takeaways in this episode. And thank you so much, Greg, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Pratim. I appreciate this so much. Take care. Thank you. Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast is brought to you by Philo. Philo is the easiest way to get access to authenticated creator data from hundreds of different platforms. To know more about Philo, visit getphilo.com. That's get. P-H-Y-L-L-O.com. Also, make sure to search for Influencer Marketing Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast listening platforms. And don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Philo, thank you so much for listening.